This lesson is designed to teach us the truth that every believer in Christ is assured of salvation and forgiveness that they have received freely from God. Believers can know for sure that they are saved and also overcome feelings of guilt, shame and condemnation. Luke chapter 17 verses 5 and 6. Luke 17 verses 5 and 6. It says here, And the apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. So the Lord said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. You know, Here's the kind of uh, situation that the apostles face, which you and I often face. You know, we think we need bigger faith. So they went to Jesus with the same request. Lord, increase our faith. Give us bigger faith. Uh, tell us what to do to have greater faith or bigger faith. Increase our faith. And Jesus' response is basically saying, look, it's really not the size of your faith. I mean, there's nothing wrong with you know, with big, big faith or great faith. It's really not about the size of your faith because he says, if you have faith like a mustard seed. So don't worry about, you know, how big my faith is. In fact, when you're walking in faith, you're really not bothered so much about faith itself because faith is supposed to be a spontaneous flow out of your relationship with God. Rather than something we try to, you know, like a mental gymnastic kind of thing that we try to do. So faith is just a natural outflow of your walk with God. So when you're really walking in faith, you're not really struggling. Oh, do I have great faith? Do I have bigger faith? More faith? How do I feel this? No, no, no. He said, look, if you have faith like a mustard seed, he just said. Just say. And as an illustration, he said, you can say to this tree, get up, be planted there and it'll move. It's not that we go around talking to trees all the time, but the point is, if you have faith, it's not about the size of your faith. If you have faith, you just say, you just speak your faith, you release your faith with your words. So, really, for us, it's not so much this thing about how big your faith is, but it's more of you just say it. Say what you believe. You believe God's a healer. You say it. You believe God's your provider? Say it. You believe God's your protector? Say it. God's my protector. You're in the middle of a storm? What should you do? Don't worry. Like, do I have big faith? The storm is so big. Do I have big faith? Relax, relax, relax. It's not about the size of your faith. He just said, if you have faith, you just say it. You believe God's your protector? You just say it. God will protect me through this storm. Doesn't matter how big the waves are, he'll protect me. Amen? So we need to train ourselves to say our faith, say what we believe about our God, what we know about our God, what we know about his word. So don't worry about the size of your faith, just speak it. Amen? Let's stand to our feet and make our declaration this morning. I want you to hold your Bible high up in the air, say that loud, bold, and strong with me. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. 
I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master. And to Him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated, please. Over the last few weeks, we've uh, started a series of uh, messages that we're calling Foundations, essentially for us to uh, just revisit topics and themes that many of us may be familiar with as believers. And yet at the same time, for some of us, uh, we may need to hear these things. Uh, We may need to be grounded once again in the Word of God. Hebrews 2 verse 1. He says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. See, like me, you tend to forget. So he says, you've got to listen to it again and again. Give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard. You may have heard it five years ago, ten years ago, doesn't matter. He says, Therefore, let us give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard. We have already heard. Why? Lest at any time we let them slip. So what do we do? Got to give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. Go back. It might be basic, but go back to the basics. Hear it again. And that's what we've been doing in this series of teaching on on foundations. And uh, going back to the basics, looking at some of the very uh, fundamental things about the Christian life and our and our journey with God, and uh, we're on the first track where we talk about lessons that are very foundational to move a believer from being a believer to becoming a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, being a disciple of the Lord. And uh, this morning, I want to talk about the assurance of salvation and forgiveness. The assurance of salvation and forgiveness. Now, what are we trying to address in this lesson? You know, when we become believers, uh, some of us have a very dramatic experience of salvation. Maybe, you know, let's say, and I'm not saying all of us have this, but let's say, you know, I was into drugs and drinking and smoking, all that. I really mess up my life. And I come to this Sunday morning service and, and the, the preacher preaches a message. I give my heart to Jesus and all of a sudden my life is changed and, and that day is so powerful. I can always remember that day because my life before that was so messed up. But that day everything changed. And, uh, and it's a very dramatic experience and I can remember that day. And, uh, and, uh, and it's my day of my salvation. I received this powerful gift of salvation that Jesus has. But for some of us, it may not even be like that. Or maybe for most of us, it may be something very simple. You know, in one service, suddenly the preacher said, pray this prayer with me. You prayed the prayer. I didn't know what was happening. But slowly, your life began to change. You begin to grow. And and that was my experience personally. My teacher told me to pray the prayer. I prayed. I didn't understand what I was praying. But all I knew was he said, if you don't pray, you'll go to the lake of fire. So might as well pray, you know. 
Exactly. He showed me that verse from Revelation 20:15. Whosoever name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life will go to the lake, huh? So no option. Better pray the prayer. <laughs> so I prayed the prayer, not necessarily understanding everything I was doing. But then something happened. It was still real. It was still very valid. Except that I didn't personally know how important it was. And then as we keep growing, we begin to face doubts. People ask, do you know you're saved? Sometimes, yeah. For those who had had dramatic experiences, yeah, I know I got saved because my life was totally messed up. I went from darkness to light. Fathers, are you saved? Man, my light, lights were dim, but now it's a little brighter. So I really can't tell very much, you know. Uh, And so not uh, so sometimes we have these doubts. Am I really saved? How do I know I'm saved? How do you know you're going to go to heaven for sure? And we have these doubts. Even though we may have been in church for a long time, we all face doubts. And I faced them even after I became a believer. How do I know I'm saved? How do I know I'm going to go to heaven? Uh, what guarantee do I have? And slowly you come to a place when you know that you know. And that's the place all of us ought to be in. As believers, where we know that we know, it's no longer any no more a matter of doubt that I know I'm saved. I know I have experienced salvation. I know I am going to go to heaven. I know Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The same issue we face with forgiveness of sins. You know, when we come to the cross and we believe in Jesus and we say, "Lord, forgive me," we feel you know we feel forgiven. Maybe some of us had a very dramatic experience. You were crying for hours and tears were coming, and He soaked up many handkerchiefs and. And you can remember, yes, you're forgiven, yes. Why? Because I soaked up 12 kerchiefs. Now, whatever, it has a dramatic experience, so you know you're forgiven. Some of us may not have had that. It's very simple. You prayed, Lord Jesus, forgive me. And you may not have any killed anybody, murdered anybody, you know, done anything wrong. So you, you know, it's just very simple. Lord, forgive me. I receive you as my Savior. Forgive my sins, you know, so on. And then you go along, but then we all face doubts. Am I really forgiven? Or sometimes after you've been a believer, you've even been baptized in water, you even speak in tongues and everything, uh, you do something wrong. And you say, Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me. But then you wake up and you're still under a cloud of guilt and shame and condemnation and you're kind of struggling uh, to, to accept the fact that you have been forgiven. And sometimes, for some of us, we may go for days under that cloud of shame and guilt because of, you know, uh, I boxed my boss. You know, I got so angry with him, I punched him. And I'm, I was just, the previous day, I was telling him about how nice a Christian I was, you know. And the next day, he didn't give me the raise. I got angry with him, I punched him. And, and I feel, you know, the next two weeks, you're, you're trying to repent of the wrong thing you did. And although you prayed and said, God, I'm sorry... You're still walking under the cloud of condemnation for many days. And that necessarily is not the best way to live the Christian life. What we must understand is that we can have assurance of the forgiveness of our sins. Not only the time we got saved, but even thereafter when we walk with God and and suppose we do something wrong. And you come to the Lord and say, God forgive me. You can get out from that place knowing you're forgiven and not living anymore under the cloud of shame and guilt and condemnation. Amen? 
that's the best way to live. And that's the way God wants us to live. But we must understand how we can live that way. How we can live assured of our salvation. And how we can live assured that we are forgiven. That the slate is clean. The sin is gone. It's been washed. On what basis we can do that. And none of these, it's not a license for us to go out and sin. But it's more of a, a, the way we live our Christian life. The way we walk with God. So this is what we want to address this morning. That as believers, we can be assured of our salvation. Sure. And we can be sure that we are forgiven. There's not, no sin between us and God. Nothing uh, obstructing our relationship with God. That's what we want to address this morning. So in terms of, let's talk about the assurance of salvation. Then we talk about the assurance of forgiveness of sins. Uh, the assurance of salvation. On, on what basis can you and I say, I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm forgiven. On what basis? Here are five important things that we must keep in mind. Number one, it's the Bible's uh, authority. What the Word of God says. That's the basis on which I can say with confidence that I am saved. And we go through uh, some, of, some scriptures on these things. Number two, on the basis of Christ's finished work. That what Jesus did on the cross was more than enough. I can't do anything to add to it. And God doesn't even require me to do anything more. To add to what he finished on the cross. All he wants me to do is to receive that finished work by faith. So that brings us to the third point. My faith in Christ. I know I have faith. I know I believe. And that's why I know I'm assured of the outcome of that belief in Jesus. And number four, it's the Spirit's assurance. The Holy Spirit it confirms within me. In ways I may not necessarily be able to express with words. The Holy Spirit gives me the assurance. Often in ways that I may not be able to articulate. But I have it inside me. That I am saved and I am forgiven. And number five. It's the evidence of a transformed life. Look, my life's changed. I went from darkness to light. I went from being a messed up person to being a person who's being changed. More and more to be like Jesus. I may not be absolutely perfect yet, but at least I'm better than what I was. Amen? And that's evidence that something's happening in me. God's at work in me. So that's uh, uh, another evidence or an assurance of my salvation. So let's talk about these things one by one. So somebody asks you, how do you know you're saved? On what basis can you say that I am saved? Number one, because of what the word says. The Bible's authority. It's very basic, but it's very important. That's where you got to point people to. Don't point, please, to the church membership form. Because one thing, on the church membership form, it does not say you have eternal life. It only says you're a member of all people's church. It doesn't even guarantee you your mansion in heaven. You got to point to the word of God. What does the word say? 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 to 13. John says, and this is the testimony. This is the evidence that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. The word says, if you have the son, you have life. Period. No questions on that. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. 
Verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He says, these things I have written for what? So that you'll have another book in your Bible? No. It says, these things I have written so that you may know that you have eternal life. So say this with me, I know, I have eternal life. Just these things I have written so that you may know that you have eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. And that, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God. So how do you know you have eternal life? Because the word of God says so. John 5, verse 24. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Do you believe? Then he said, you have everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation. Shall not come into judgment. But has passed from death to life. So he said, if you believe in him, you have everlasting life. See, eternal life doesn't start after you die. It starts the moment you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have eternal life. And you have passed from judgment into life. You will not come into condemnation, is what he said. Amen? So it's based on that. Number one, how can I know I'm saved? Well, Jesus said that. He, the word says it. Number two, it's Christ's finished work. Jesus finished the work on the cross when he said it, it's done. It's over. And uh, there are several scriptures from that. We look at some of them in Hebrews 9, 12. It says, not with the blood of goats and cows, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He entered there once for all with his own blood. And that's what brings us eternal redemption. But you know what most of us believers do? I know Jesus went there, but I'm also going to carry my bowl of tears. Because God, you know, maybe just in case his work is not enough. At least I'll have my bowl of tears. Or I'll carry my bowl of good works and then go into the holy place. Just in case what Jesus did is not enough. And so we try to base our salvation on our tears, our good works, whatever things we do. Rather than looking at the fact that what he did was once for all, it was enough. Nobody else needs to come and add to his work of redemption. Amen? It's done. I can't add to it. So how do I know I'm saved? Not because I did a lot of good works from that time onwards, but because it was already finished on the cross. He did it for my salvation. Hebrews 10 verse 18, it says now, where, or Hebrews verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. By one offering, that one offering is enough. I don't need to add anything more to it. So my salvation is based on that finished work. It's enough for me. All I have to do is believe in it. For by one offering, 
He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. I am being sanctified. My life is being changed, but his gift is perfect. His work is perfect. What he did is eternal. What he gave is eternal. And I'm a recipient of it. It's enough. Verse 18, where there is remission of these things, there's no longer an offering for sin. There's no longer an offering for sin. You don't continue to make amends or try to get saved by your works. It's already done on the cross. The third thing is this. It's my faith in Christ. Because the Bible says, if I have faith in Jesus, I will be saved. It's my faith in Christ. It's important. How do you know you're saved? Because I know I believe in Jesus. I know I believe in him. And the Bible clearly says that if I believe in him, I will not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. The Bible is true. He said if I believe in him, I will have everlasting life. So I know I believe in him. It's not on the screen there, but uh, Acts 16, 30 and 31, this is in the jail in Philippi when Paul and his team are there. And these prisoners come to, uh, come to him and say, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul responds, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be. That's it. He didn't say believe and become a church member. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's it. So do you believe? Yes. Then you are saved. No need to doubt whether I am saved or not. Do you believe? Yes, I do. You are saved. Because the Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. There's no more, uh, there's no more need to doubt whether you are saved or not. And uh, number five, another very important uh, fact about our salvation is the assurance given to us by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us His assurance. In Romans chapter 8, verse, verses 14 and 15, the Bible says, Because your sons, God has sent, and He repeats the same thing in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6. He says, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, by which you cry out, Abba, Father. The very fact that you feel inclined to call God your Father, the very fact that you recognize God as Father and you kind of sense this relationship with Him is an evidence that something has happened in your heart. The Holy Spirit is bearing witness there. He's giving you this assurance, this confidence that you are a child of God and you are able to call God your Father. And then he says in verse 15 of Romans 8, the Spirit bears witness or testifies or speaks to our spirit that we are the children of that means you know inside you, I'm a child of God. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Now, somebody will say, uh, you know, how can you explain that? Now, you cannot explain this assurance that the Holy Spirit is putting. How can you articulate? How can you, you know, so well, I feel, you know, uh, the temperature is about 92, you know. You can't explain it. But it's a confident assurance you know in your heart. That you're saved. And that confidence is given by the Holy Spirit. And lastly, why do I know I'm saved? Why can you know you're saved? It's because of a transformed life. 
My life's changing. I'm not the same that I used to be. Sins that I was bound to have dropped off of my life. Now, I may not be flawless. I may not be perfect. But I'm at least not what I used to be. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. If any person is in Christ, he is a new creature. He's a new creation. So there is this evidence of a transformer life. I'm being changed. That's an evidence that I'm saved. Amen. So, your evidence of salvation is not based on how dramatic your experience of salvation was. Because not all of us have a very dramatic experience. Amen? Your evidence of your salvation is not even based on the fact that you remember the date on which you were saved. Because Jesus didn't say, all who remember the date they were saved will be saved. So believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you right now believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, you're saved. Can you remember the date? I can't remember the date I was saved. I have a vague idea that somewhere, I guess, October, the month of October. Why? Because it was before my birthday. And it was football season. We were playing a lot of football. These two are the only, uh, you know, things that helped me kind of place somewhere in October of that year, I think it was 1980, that I was saved. Do you remember the date? I don't know. Nobody told me I was supposed to write it down. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know it was that important. Did you know what happened? Yeah, I remember I went to pray. This preacher, this teacher scared me into praying the prayer. No, <laughs> I prayed the prayer. So it's my salvation. It's not based on those external things. It's based, number one, on the word of God. Number two, on the finished work of Christ. Number three, on my faith in Jesus. Number four, on the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. And number five, my life's been changing ever since that day. Amen? That's the assurance I have. I'm saved. The question is, do you believe in Jesus Christ today? Yes, then you are saved. Amen? Now, the, the reason many of us struggle with our assurance of salvation is because maybe we're trying to base it on the experience of salvation. Not all of us have that dramatic experience. Or secondly, we're trying to base it on our feelings. You know, feelings come and go. Sometimes you feel very saved and sometimes you don't feel saved. You feel very spiritual, sometimes you don't feel spiritual. So your salvation is not based on how you feel. Amen? Amen? It's based on these, these what we're calling as elements. The word of God, on the assurance of the Holy Spirit. On the finished work of Christ and your faith in that. It's based on that. It's not based on your feelings. So even when you don't feel saved. You know for those moments when you don't feel saved. It's like maybe you lost your job. Maybe your boss fired you. Maybe you know you had an argument with somebody. And you don't feel like a Christian anymore at that moment. Uh, Maybe you know you ran the traffic light and your police caught you. Now when you run the traffic light and the police doesn't catch you. You still feel like a Christian. But when you run the traffic light and the police catches you, that's when you don't feel like a Christian. You hope the pastor is not passing by, you know. And, and in that moment, you don't really feel saved. 
But are you saved? You are saved. Even in that moment when you don't really feel you're saved. Because your salvation is not based on whether you got a ticket or not. Your salvation is based on the fact that Jesus Christ died for you, was buried and rose up again, and you believe in that. That's your salvation. Amen? There are some mornings you wake up and, and you read your Bible and you pray in tongues and you have a great time of worship and everything, and you really feel saved. There are other mornings you wake up, it's barely one minute to eight o'clock, and, and you have to leave home at 8.10 and you know, so you kind of, you're brushing your teeth, taking your shower and having your coffee all at the same time. I don't know, just making this up. You know. you're, and out the door you go at 8.10. And you don't feel saved. Why? Because you haven't read your Bible. You haven't prayed. And you're more worried of getting out the door on time than about saying, good morning, Holy Spirit. And all that. Don't feel saved. But are you saved? Yes. Because your salvation is not based on, you know, you woke up very early and prayed. Your salvation is based on the word of God and what Jesus did for you on the cross and that you believe in that. Amen? So you and I can know and walk in this assurance that we are saved. The same thing with the forgiveness of sins. The assurance of forgiveness of sins. You know, when we sin, and we will sin, I'm not making an excuse for us to go and do wrong things, but the fact is that no matter how, you know, how sincere we are, we make mistakes. We do something wrong, and, 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 uh, and we do sin. We don't have to, but we do. And uh, what happens when we sin? Well, we grieve. The Holy Spirit, right? That's what Paul points out in Ephesians chapter 4. In the assurance of forgiveness of sins, he, uh, he says, you know, don't let him who stole steal no longer. Let no evil word come out of your mouth. Uh, and he gives all that. Then he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So when we sin, what are we doing? We are grieving the Holy Spirit. And so inside you, you feel that. You feel that, you know, I'll grieve the Holy Spirit. And the more you walk with God, even little things can make you aware that you've grieved the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of us are in a place in God where you shout at anybody, you can do anything you want. Next moment you say, Hallelujah. And it doesn't matter to you. For some of us, even if you get a little angry inside you, say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I'm sorry I lost it. Why? Because you reach that place where you don't even want to do anything that grieves the holy. So you're that sensitive. You may not have, you know, blown it or done something big, but even the fact that you felt a little angry about something and you were going to say something, God, I'm sorry. I lost it. Because you become very sensitive to the Spirit of God. That you don't want to grieve Him inside you. Amen? 
But that's what sin does. It grieves the spirit of God who dwells in you. That you cannot live with that feeling of discomfort. Where you know you've grieved the spirit of God. Because his peace in your heart, you treasure it so much. So you wouldn't want to lose your temper. You wouldn't want to do anything in the flesh. Because you know, immediately you can sense it inside you. I've grieved the Holy Spirit. Others may not even realize it, but you know it. So when we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. And that moment, the Holy Spirit telling you, okay, don't do it. You know? And so you, you recognize it. And, and you say, God, I'm sorry. And then you move on. You get it right. And you move on. But sometimes what happens, so we call that, you know, you could call it the convicting work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts you, tells you that's not the right thing. But, and that's good. We must come to that place of sensitivity. But the wrong place to be in is condemnation. Condemnation does not come from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't condemn you. You're good for nothing, fellow. So now you cannot sing for the next five days. And don't you dare pray aloud in church. And don't you... Sit on the front row. Sit outside the church. <laughs> I mean, all these things, condemnation. Now that is not the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, many of us live under a constant cloud of condemnation. We must be sensitive to the convicting work of the Spirit and sense of the fact that we don't want to grieve the Spirit of God, but do not tolerate one moment of condemnation. Because condemnation is not the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the devil. Revelation 12 and verse 10, the Bible says, he is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses, he brings condemnation. Accusation is intended to bring that condemnation, a feeling of a worthlessness, a feeling of Guilt and rejection from God. That's what accusation is intended to do. And so many of us believers constantly live under the cloud of condemnation thinking we are repenting. And that's not. So we've got to come to a place where we can have the assurance of the forgiveness of sins. Now, 1 John chapter 1 verses 6 through 9 is a very familiar passage, but it's good for us to just go and review that. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6 through 9, he says here, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So obviously, you can't say that, you know, I'm in walking in right relationship with God and then walk do the things of darkness because then he's saying you're lying. You're cheating yourself. So don't do that. Then he says in verse 7, But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light. That means, you know, I'm walking in righteousness because he is righteous. And I'm living a life that's pleasing to God. We have fellowship one another. Now I can say I really have fellowship with him. My, uh, my relationship with him is not affected. I am in relationship with him. And then he says, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Because, obviously, verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. That means we will do something wrong. We will make mistakes. So let's not say that I'm without sin. No, you, you, you do sin, so don't deceive yourself on the other side of things. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. But what must we do? This is the right thing to do. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he, John is trying to teach us how to walk the path correctly. So there are two extremes. One extreme is I claim to have fellowship with him, but I'm actually living in unrighteousness. That's in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him but walk in darkness, then we are not speaking the truth. We are deceiving ourselves. That's one side. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then true, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses from all sin. But even though you're walking in the light, don't say you have no sin because then it brings you on the other side. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But what must you do? Verse 9. Come back to the middle. If we confess our sins. I'm walking in the light as he is in the light. I'm having fellowship with him. When I do something wrong, what must I do? Don't say I have no sin. No. Confess your sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive. He is faithful he will not abandon you. He is just, meaning he is taking care of all the justice aspect of it. Don't worry about that. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, look at it very carefully. How much time does God need to run you through his laundry, mat, laundry process? Does it say, if this verse 9 say, if we confess our sins, he takes about a week to cleanse us from our sins. Does it say that? No. So what does it imply? It means if you confess your sin, the moment you've said, God, I am sorry, that moment he cleanses you. Amen? So don't permit yourself to continue under, oh God, I'm sorry. And neither the word, the word verse also doesn't say, if we confess our sins for 10 full minutes, then at the 11th minute. So what do we do? God, I want to tell you, I'm really sorry, God, but uh, I need to oh, go through all this thing. Listen, God is not impressed by that. He sees your heart. Are you really sorry? Are you willing to change? That's it. Now, yes, sometimes there is godly sorrow and that is good. The Bible says godly sorrow brings us to repentance and we must not shy away from that because it brings us to salvation. And that's good. Godly, yes, you really feel sorry about it. You're telling God. But don't do it because you think that through that long process, you can impress God in order to receive forgiveness. He does not forgive you because of how long you repent, how many tears you cry, how loud you cry, none of that. The only reason He forgives you is 1 John 2, 12. Beloved children, your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. Amen? It's not forgiving you because you've prayed so long, cried so much, uh, you know, beat yourself up and all of that. No, 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 that's not the basis of forgiveness. It's the blood of Jesus Christ and His name. Because you've come and said, in Jesus' name. Meaning, because Jesus died for me. In his name, please forgive me. Amen? So, what are we learning? The moment you sin, 
and you realize you've done something wrong, whether it's small, like you got angry with somebody, or whether it's something slightly bigger, you robbed the bank, or you know, something like that. <laughs> Whatever you do, if you realize, you know, I've done something wrong, God, I'm sorry. I'm asking you to forgive me in the name of that very moment. He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all. How much of it? See, God doesn't do partial business. He says, okay, son, today 10% I'll wash. Come back tomorrow. And come back the third day. The next we'll deal with it. I'll forgive you for the next 30%. No. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. However big that sin might be. Or however small it might be. He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. So that moment when you have gone before God and said, God, I acknowledge my sin. I've done something wrong. I repent of it, meaning, God, I'm really sorry for it. I'm turning it away from it. And I'm coming to you on the basis of the name of Jesus Christ and what is shed blood. God, please forgive me and cleanse me. That moment, it's done. So that from that moment, you and I can walk free from any sense of guilt and condemnation. Amen? Now, you might have feelings like, you know, you might really continue to feel sorry about it and continue to reflect on it in terms of, you know, what should I have done differently? How could I have handled the situation differently? And that's all good because you're trying to learn from that experience. But it's not good for you to continue walking in a feeling of condemnation, in a sense of being rejected by God because He no longer condemns you. He no longer rejects you. You are accepted in the Beloved. Amen? It's good to look back and say, you know, maybe I should handle it like this and I can make amends and, 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 and learn from it so you don't repeat it. That's, that's all fine. But to walk under guilt and condemnation is not God's best. It's not what God wants. So, we repent and we receive forgiveness. Now, listen to what the Bible says. How God deals with our sin. We quickly go through some of these pictures the Bible paints for us. So, if you just skip down a few slides... Uh, pictures that assures us, you know, this is what God does with our sins. I mean, look at this. It's so amazing. There are different pictures. Job 14, verse 17. God puts our transgressions in a sealed up bag. Meaning, he says, I'll put it there. I'll put the seal. Don't open it. But, every, but we say, God, can you give me the key to that? I want to go and take out my sin. No, God sealed your sin in a bag. Don't open it. Finished. Isaiah 44, 22, he says, I've blotted them out like a thick cloud. I've taken it off. I've blotted it. It's gone. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins. Some of us still want to make the journey looking for it. We're going east to west looking for it, bringing it back to God. He's moved it away as far as the east is from the west. Micah 7.19, he says, I will subdue your sin. May I put them under my feet, crush them to the ground, forget it. I'm bothered about it. Isaiah 38.17, he says, I cast all my sins 
you have cast all my sins behind your back. Where does God put your sins? Behind his back. It's gone. Behind. And we want to crawl behind God's back, pull it out, put it in front of him. God says, leave it behind. Jeremiah 31, 34. I will remember your sins no more. He takes it out of his mind. And we have the problem in our minds. We keep remembering it. But he's got it out of his mind. Isaiah 43, 25. Again he says, I blot out your transgressions for my sake. I blot it out. Isaiah 1.18. He says, though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. And then, though they were red like crimson, they'll be as wool. He says, I'll wipe it all clean. It's gone. Micah 7.19. He says, he cast all our sins to the depths of the sea. Let's put it in the sea, deep down. Some of us go deep sea diving. Shh. God, I'm bringing it up again. Now listen, these are all pictures that God is trying to tell us. Listen, I, I, I just, I'm not interested in it anymore. Forget it, it's gone. Let's keep walking forward. But you and I have the problem. If we go keep pulling it out, saying, God, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry. God says, forget it, man. I heard you. Keep going. Keep going, keep moving. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses you from every sin. It's done. It's over. Amen? So you and I can have the assurance in our hearts that we are forgiven. It's gone. Why? Because the Bible says, if I confess my sins, He is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. It's gone. I'm clean. I'm walking with God. He's done all this with my sins. I'm not going to go fishing for it. I'm not going to go diving for it, running for it. Nothing. It's gone. God forgets it. You and I may forget it. But there's a little devil. He's faithful to remind us about it. That's his job. So you and I need to remind the devil of the word of God. It is written, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has cleansed me from all sins. Devil, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has cleansed me from all sin. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.